in studio on Z95.3. This is the Kid Carson Show. Here's Kid Carson and Jordan McCloskey. I'm so pumped about this interview, but I'm also I'm also nervous because I kind of feel like this woman on the phone has so much information that can change your life if you're a parent. It's like she, I don't even know what she knows. She knows so much. So I feel like I don't even know what to ask her. Um, but I'm excited to let her just kind of spill any knowledge that she can with us. And um, you'll have to definitely follow up and read her book. Her book is called Rest, Play, Grow, Making Sense of Preschoolers or Anyone Who Acts Like One. Her name is Deborah McNamara, PhD. You've probably heard of her. And she's right here. Thank you for that. That's quite complimentary and uh, a lot to live up to for my end, that's for sure. But kids are fascinating. And, you know, until you become a parent, you don't really quite know what you're in for. And, uh, you know, certainly now that we have the pandemic on us, it's just adds a whole other layer to it. I, I think the important thing is that I keep reminding myself of is that what our kids need hasn't changed. It's just probably emphasized more what's required. You know, like they need relationships. They need a sense of safety. Uh, they need to face disappointment and sadness. We need to lead them. Like all of the fundamentals of taking care of someone hasn't hasn't really changed. It's just, it's emphasized and brought them more to the surface. And then it's sort of realized, you know, it's, it's easier for us to realize now where it is that we need to do some work, where things are working well, and uh, and just to look at our kids in a new light again. What's a common mistake that parents might be making during this strange shift from maybe having your kids at school all day to suddenly having them at home? hard to say. I mean, every family is so different. I think one thing that I see that's quite universal is that parents are really, they care deeply for the parents that I work with and the parents that come out to seminars or read my books, that kind of thing. They care deeply about parenting. And I think there is a sense, I've talked to a lot of parents, there's a lot of sense of guilt that they're not able to do this right or that they don't know how to do this. And, um, you know, I, I think under guilt, well, I know under guilt is sadness and frustration that we're not able to take care of our kids the way we want to. And obviously all the added pressure that we feel. So I think the if there were such a thing as a mistake, uh, not that it's a mistake, but it's a challenge, uh, is that I think we can lose confidence in what we have to offer. And that so much of what we do isn't always perfect. <laughs> uh, and if we don't have to be perfect, actually, to do this. Uh, nature, the beautiful thing about nature is that she kind of, you know, however you believe, uh, human beings came into creation. Uh, whatever the design, I know it was built for us to be imperfect, which is quite beautiful. You know, when I think about, I teach this stuff. I, you know, I have kids myself, but I, I have a hard time. I can't. I'm not a perfect parent, uh, but I always lean back on the fact that, well, <laughs> you know, there's such a thing as being a good enough parent, and that's actually what our kids need. So I think it's. I, I've just seen parents be really hard on themselves. Uh, during this pandemic, worried that they're not doing enough or doing it right for their kids. Yeah, I've heard that that phrase, mother's guilt, for many years. And um, the last couple of years, I was at home with my wife and we were raising our kids together. And I actually felt some of that uh, mother's guilt as a dad. I'm not sure what, the, what it's called. I guess <laughs> dad's guilt. But parenting guilt. <laughs> parenting guilt. Yeah. And I thought, wow, it's amazing how I used to wonder, like, why, why would you feel guilty? You're, you're doing your best. But it's true that from moment to moment, you sort of, oh, I could have done that a bit better. Little things that you think, oh, God, you, you beat yourself up over afterwards. That's exactly it. Because you want to do it right. I mean, there's something that you, I mean, to, to love a child, it's just uh, an incredible experience. 
and to feel the weight of responsibility for raising a child. You know, this is the real, this is the real deal, who they become. We, we have a lot that we can do to shape their world. And so I think that sense of responsibility weighs on our shoulders and it's a good thing because that's just, that keeps us paying attention. Um, but we can't forget that it's not about perfection. Um, that we just do our best. We try to be good enough. We try to pay attention to what they need, you know, um, and uh, and know that there's a, there's a whole blueprint inside of them to mature not only physically, but psychologically as well. Yeah, I know you've read that, wrote that book called Rest, Play, Grow, which I'm just mm-hmm. about, my wife read the book. Her friends have all read the book. Um, my wife is, is the one who raved and said, you need to get her on your show. This would be amazing. <laughs> I think you've been talking or doing some Zoom calls with a few of my wife's friends at their schools. You've been speaking to parents and giving them some advice on how to step up their game or how to focus or how to, you know, really be present for your kids. Um, and I know your your book really focuses on kind of the making sense of, of the preschooler age. I love the name of the book where it says, Rest, Play, Grow, Making Sense of Preschoolers or Anyone Who Acts Like One. So this <laughs> might have helped my wife deal with me in some certain situations. <laughs> <laughs> like, you sound this, pretty mature, but like, but thank you to your wife for the yeah. for the mention and her friends. I yeah. can't wait to read this book. You are a PhD, and you've spent your life. This is your life's work, basically, right? Studying you know, the science behind making a positive impact on kids. Uh, yeah, I love kids. I love families. I always knew it was my work, and I I work with Dr. Gordon Newfeld, who wrote the book Hold On to Your Kids with Gabor Mate. And so it's it's just taking the science of relationship and developmental science and just making it tangible, practical, um, and also not dumbing down parents and putting um, some science into parents' hands about how to look at their kids so that they know a little bit, they have a little bit more insight into why the child's behaving the way they are. Because preschoolers, especially young kids, they don't talk like us. They don't act like us. They don't think like us. They don't care about the same things oftentimes that we care about you know, like green vegetables. I just, they're just so different uh, from us. And so I think we can be really uh, confused and baffled by them. They, they're not logical. Uh, they have incredible intense emotions all over the place. And, and oftentimes we think they're broken, but they're just, that's how they're kind of made. And, and they do grow more mature with the right caretaking. But that's why I wrote the book was just to help parents who are baffled by these, these little kids who are nothing like them. What are parents do you find most surprised at? when they start to learn about the, the science of emotional development and attachment and all these sorts of things that you discuss in your book? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I think the most impactful thing is to realize that it's not intentional. A lot of their behavior is not intentional. It's actually developmental. The centers in the brain that are responsible for impulse control, like to basically put the brakes on, you know, your screams, your yells, your hits, your throws, all that kind of egregious uh, temper tantrum kind of stuff. Uh, to be able to follow through when you ask them a request, to be able to focus on things more than, you know, more than one at a time, to be capable of work, like all that stuff that requires impulse control, the centers of the brain actually don't develop till five to seven years of age. And that shocks parents. It's like, are you kidding me? This child will have no impulse control till five to seven. I'm like, yep. And then uh, they say, well, what am I supposed to do in the meantime? And I say, well, that's why we have parents because we have to supervise. That's why we have adults. We don't leave right. them on their own. It's funny. My youngest, Max, who's two and a half, he's just the sweetest. Like, oh, if you stub your toe, he comes back over 10 minutes later to make sure you're okay and wants to look <laughs> at it to make sure. He's just so, like, nurturing. 
But then, yeah. you know, you cut his sandwich the wrong way and he has <laughs> a fit and the fit now is developed into, and this is recent. So I'm glad you brought that up, the hitting. He'll scream yeah. and then he'll hit. It's like in the moment you forget what you're supposed to, to, to do. You just kind of, just kind of do like in, a, in a, a mild scolding, like, hey, we don't hit, you know. But I mean, I guess you're kind of, I guess you're saying you're kind of wasting your time, really. In fact, let's take a quick break. We'll come back with more from Deborah McNamara, PhD, author of Rest, Play, Grow, Making Sense of Preschoolers, or anyone who acts like one. I want to find out as a dad what to do when your kid starts to freak out and hit. That's next year on Zed. Wake up! This is the Kid Carson Show. Here's Kid Carson and Jordan McCloskey. Hey, radio buddies. We're on the phone with the incredible Deborah McNamara. PhD and author of Rest, Play, Grow, Making Sense of Preschoolers or Anyone Who Acts Like One. We were just discussing um, young kids. You know, my son Max is two and a half and he's at the stage where he, you know, you cut a sandwich wrong or something and he, and he freaks out and then starts to try to hit you. And so I was just asking Deborah, you know, how do you respond in that moment when you're, you know, as a parent, you're just, ugh, you're already tired, you're already in the grind and then, and then your kid's hitting you and you're feeling frustrated. Those are your feelings, yeah, for sure, right. which, you know, because it's just a sandwich and you're like, you're thinking, dude, you know, there's bigger things in life to come than a sandwich not cut right. And I think that's where parents go in their head. They're like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to get this child prepared for the real world? You know, the, the reality is, is that when a child, especially at this age of two and a half, he's just so on the mark. He is got He has his own mind now, which is quite a formidable thing. He knows how he wants his sandwich cut. Like, think about that. He wasn't born with that. But now he's got a desire. He's got his own interests. He's got his own plans about how he likes that sandwich. That is actually developmentally remarkable. He's becoming his own person. I like, I do, no, my idea. Like you start to see all of these words come out of the little three-year-old. And it's actually a time, uh, it's the birthplace. It's usually at that age of a, of a child's um you know, identity and coming into the world. And so he's frustrated. He, the emotion is, is he's frustrated because he, his idea didn't come to pass. His preference didn't happen. He's frustrated. And so what happens is you're just seeing frustration come out of him. And he's particular to yells, some kids or screams or, you know, or throwing or whatever a child will have a particular bent for frustration. And so the focus is really on frustration and futility. I know, you know, the sandwich isn't how you wanted it. You know, if you're not going to make a new one or cut it differently, then you say, no, that's what there is. And, you know, you just leave it be and he'll cry or he'll eventually, you know, find his way through uh, with enough support for his tears and his sadness. But you get to pick when and where you do that. Some parents might make another sandwich. Some parents might say this is what there is and you know you don't have to eat it right now but uh it is about representing that the world doesn't always go your way and you get to pick where and when that happens but he, he's got his own mind about his sandwiches that's a good thing kid thank you for that my oldest boy is six and i remember I, i'd read about lying and how <laughs> this was an amazing kind of step in that well he for axel had, had told me had lied to me about something and it was right after i'd read this thing Thank goodness. So I wasn't insulted. I was actually quietly celebrated with my wife. I'm like, Axel lied to me today. This means he's, his brain has got a bit of a growth spurt to the next level because that's a complex thing to not only look at what's reality, but then come up with your own reality and then lie about that to your parent was actually exactly. an exciting thing, right? <laughs> That's exactly it. Because lying, a true lie, represents that a child can hold on to the truth and then in the back of their head knows know that it's false. And so they start to feel the conflict internally 
between what is true and what is not true. And it's, if you'll see this in five to six, seven, well, between, you know, around the age of six, five to seven, you see this children are fascinated with good and bad, with evil, uh, with the devil and the angel on your shoulder. And it's at the age where they start to wrestle internally. Uh, they, they develop this conscious, this conscious and this morality. Uh, this is the birthplace of it. And so the antidote to it is a, a, is a deep relationship with your parent where whatever you say uh, won't be held against the relationship, but you're able to get a child uh, to tell you their secrets uh, because they know that the relationship is stronger than the infraction. Hmm. I kind of feel like, I don't know, maybe this is something I'm just making up in my mind, but we, we, we maybe tend to do just what our parents did. And sometimes that isn't always the right way. What, would, what advice would you give to a parent who is like, you know what, I'm hearing this woman on the radio. She's making a lot of sense. Maybe I need to be a more present parent, try some new strategies with my kids. Um, what, what advice could you give them, you know, just in the car while they're driving to work? Yeah, that's a great question. What we're really struggling with is, is a real shift in understanding our emotional system. You know, Brenny Brown has really popularized the idea of vulnerability. Mm. But what does that mean in terms of our children? How is it that we raise children who have a sense of their emotions and who become emotionally mature and therefore become, uh, you know, have good emotional health? Uh, the evidence is, is that we're really struggling when it comes to the emotional health of our kids. When you look at attention issues, uh, aggression issues, anxiety issues is through the roof. And so when you look at the statistics, our, it shows that our children and our youth uh, are struggling. You know, like when you have childhood depression on the increase, it's, you know, you're thinking, okay, what, what are we doing here? What do we need to do? And so one of the most fundamental uh, roles of a parent is to take care of a child's emotional system. And I think uh, this has been different from what our parents used to be preoccupied with. So it is our job to really help our children understand their emotions, to have patience with their emotions, to come alongside their emotions, to make room for them instead of the old approach, which was cut it out, get that behavior in line. I'll give you something to think about, you know, um, it's not that bad, suck it up. That kind of, uh, you know, culture did nothing to help support our emotional development. And so that is really the key uh, right now is fostering emotional health and well-being for our kids. What's a great way to start with that? Like, I know, like my wife, when I met her, uh, she was a single mom and she had a four and a half year old little girl. And I really loved the way my wife would do this thing every night with her. When she tucked her in her bed, she'd say, okay, it's time to have a feelings talk. And they would just talk about their, literally just about their feelings for the day. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. Is that a good example? Or, or is there another technique that you could recommend that's for parents beautiful. who want to start doing that? Oh, it's just beautiful. You know, and, and the thing is, is that it came from your wife's generosity. Like it just came from her mother's instincts. It says, we're just going to check in at the end of the day and talk about our day to help make sense of it. Because, you know, when you're in the middle of your day and you're moving around from thing to, to one activity or whatever to the next, your your feelings don't often catch up with you. It's usually at the end of the day, you know, it's true probably for a lot of us mm. uh, when we have a moment to just rest, a car ride or whatever it is that we're doing, a walk, where we find our feelings are catching up with us. And uh, and so she, you, you know, your wife uh, makes a date with your child's feel with her child's feelings. That's beautiful. That's all you need. It's a date, a regular date with your child's feelings and to think about when and where and how you do that. Uh, there's no magic other than that, just making a date and having a strong enough relationship so that the child feels like they want to tell you. Parents have done this in 
in many different ways. I remember one dad, he, he had to, uh, he was working to get close to his teenage son. And I said, why don't you just go away for a weekend or whatever? And, and so then, anyway, they, they took a trip. Anyway, he came back and I said to him, all you need to, all you need to do is get a flat tire and be stuck at the side of the road for a while. I said, I think that might fix everything. Anyway, sure enough, he got a flat tire. <laughs> he, he, he cursed me a little, but he said it did the trick. Wow. <laughs> I was there. I was his only answer. And man, oh man, did the frustration bring stuff to the surface. And his dad was patient. And he had a date with his child's feelings. And uh, and he became the answer. You know, the more that you can answer your child's feelings, the more you are the answer to everything for them. Wow. So just make a date. Is it just about letting your child be heard? It is. Yeah. It's about attending to the emotion and listening to the emotion. You know, as a counselor, I'm trained to do that. And I think, you know, many parents feel like, okay, well, what do I do? Well, just listen to the emotion that's underneath it. They're sad. They're scared. They're upset. They don't want this to happen. They want someone to change their mind. And you just focus on that. Oftentimes you can't agree with their uh, behavior. Uh, you know, you can't agree with their demands. You can't meet their demands. You know, oftentimes my kids would come running to me and they tell on their father, daddy's no good. He said, no, I want, you know, I wanted this and he's, he's bad daddy. He's no daddy. Right. <laughs> they just, right. They'd throw him under the bus because he wouldn't give him juice or something. Right. So, you know, what do you do as a parent? I'm not going to agree that their father's bad. I'm not going to agree that they should have juice. I'm not going to argue with my husband about giving them juice. So I just, you know, what's the emotion? They're frustrated. They didn't get what they wanted. Oh, you're frustrated with daddy. You didn't get what you want. Yeah, bad daddy. They would say, you know, bad daddy. I'm like, no, he's not a bad daddy. You're just frustrated. <laughs> you're frustrated because he said no. Yeah, daddy said no. Yep, he's a no daddy right now. <laughs> <laughs> I would comfort them until they cry because that's all that's left to do when you're frustrated sometimes. You yeah. can't get what you want. It's just wow. tears. I have um, a friend of mine who is very nervous about the pandemic. They are mm -hmm. still like nervous about the world reopening again. They're worried about the germs. They wear the mask 24-7. And so now their their young daughter is now terrified. Terrified to touch mm -hmm. anything, kind of reacting to, I guess, following the lead of the mom. Is there any advice you could give to parents who are in this sort of weird position? They've, they've given their kid a certain narrative about what's happening in the world. Now they might have to change that as they decide whether to send their kid back to school. Like I know everyone's in their unique position and everyone's got their own things going on but any words of encouragement mm -hmm. well it's all about leading you know leading your child making a decision where you want to go what it's going to look like in to whatever degree you can know and leading them there you know i just i did a some seminars or webinars for people back east of montreal who are going to be sending their kids to school a lot earlier than us and the whole message was, you know, how do I keep my kids safe? And the answer is that safety is in the leadership by following the adult. You know, I'll take care of you. I know where we're going. You just hold on to me. You know, I don't take you places that I don't think are okay. Um, I'll make these decisions. These aren't your decisions to make. And so it's all about leading. Mm. It's not a bossy kind of dictatorship, nor is it a passive, I don't know, you know what to do here. It's about taking the lead so that the child feels safe and secure in the bubble of relationship with you until they're mature enough, you know, in, in uh, you know, adulthood that they can take the lead on their own. Mm. And so I would say, take the lead. So this mom just needs to figure out what lead she can, what resources she has, how she wants to proceed. And then, you know, with a young child, it's just on a, on a need to know basis, you know, and this is what we're going to do. And, but with a lot of that um, behavior around trying to make sense of what's happening, you know, like wearing masks and things like this or washing our hands for young kids, the best thing to do is just to play 
you know, you play it out because play is not alarming. Reality is alarming, but play is not for a child. And play is actually how children make sense of the world. And so if you can just introduce some of these things in a playful way, you know, like, for example, back in Montreal, when they're teaching the kids about physical uh, distancing, one of the teachers had a great idea, such a Canadian idea. They had a, uh, a hockey stick and they put a stuffed animal on the end of the hockey stick. And uh, the teacher was demonstrating to the kids. It's just, this is what, you know, physical distancing is. It's just like walking your pet on your hockey stick. Mm. Okay. So if people get too close to your pet, you say, Hey, I'm walking my pet back off. Mm. Right. <laughs> and just awesome. in this beautiful, playful way, we get away from my hockey stick. Right. It's just, right. that's the way that kids get the message. And so lead and lead into play or, but just lead, make your decisions. Your child's sense of safety resides you know, by them looking at you and seeing what you're reflecting back to them. That's great advice to make it play. Yeah, sometimes we feel like, okay, how am I going to have this very serious talk with my kid so that they understand? <laughs> but it's like, you're right. That makes a lot of sense. I was just going to say, you can get yourself at a lot of tight spaces with kids with play. So yeah, it's it's a ace. It's a card to keep in your pocket when you need it. Well, listen, I'm I'm just starting to read your book, Rest, Play, Grow, Making Sense of Preschoolers. I would love to have you on the show again at some point. Oh, I'd love to be invited. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'd love to read the book and then I'll actually know what I'm talking about and know what to ask you <laughs> because I feel you like... You were great. <laughs> oh, just, thank you. Just don't change a thing. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. I just, uh, you know, I, I know you have just a wealth of, of knowledge and I think that my listeners would just, would just are going to love this so much. So Dr. Deborah McNamara, author of Rest, Play, Grow, Making Sense of Preschoolers or Anyone Who Acts Like One. <laughs> thank you so much. It was a pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Take care. She's so cool. By the way, if you like cool interviews like that, uh, you know, doctors, parenting experts, the whole thing, I've got a brand new text number and it's on my Instagram page. So just go there, hit contact, and um, I've got a special number now just to text with you. You're going to give them your phone number. Yeah. It's, a, it's just for that. My wife has a separate number for me. This is for people who want to, you know. So if I have someone cool coming up on the show, I'll shoot you a quick text saying, hey, turn on Zed right now. And, uh, you know, and, and I'll interact back and forth. You text you back and forth. It's really I me. was going to say, can they text you back and you text back? Or is it just like a one? Oh, you can, then you can just text me anything. It's better than doing oh. a DM. It goes right to my, like when you text me, it'll buzz in my pocket. Instead, cool. of, instead of me having to check DMs on Instagram and messages on Facebook and the whole thing. So I'm doing this new thing where it's all just now by text. It's way easier. Okay. You know what I mean? Anyways, uh, if you want, I know you won't remember the number at this point. So just go to uh, Instagram, hit contact, and um, a little thing will pop up and says, text me. Just do that. Never miss a good interview again. This is the Kid Carson Show. The Kid Carson Show. Said 95.3.